Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Anything that I'd seen wedding photography-wise was so lame, like so unbelievably lame that I wanted nothing to do with it. And every time someone would ask me what I did and I would say, I'm a photographer, they would automatically go, oh, what, like weddings? And I would scoff at them <laughs> and say, no, I shoot fashion, are you serious? That's wedding photographer Maria Bentley, and despite her initial reservations, she now travels all over the world shooting incredible love stories. Me, I'm Matt Bowen, and this is Phototypes. It's Matt freaking Bowen. In today's episode of Phototypes, then, you'll hear from Maria Bentley of Studio 1208. She jets across the globe shooting weddings with her husband Nick, but as you heard from the clip at the beginning, she wasn't always so keen on weddings. So what happened? How did she get to where she is now? It's been quite a journey with plenty of twists and turns along the way. During the course of this interview, Maria swears quite a lot, so if you're easily offended, then you might want to skip this episode. But if you're not, then you're in for a real treat, as she gives her forthright opinions of wedding photography, Pinterest, and has some great advice for other photographers. Well, let's not waste any more time then, and let's say hello to Maria Bentley. Hello, thank you for having me. You're very welcome. How are you today? I'm good. I'm really good. I am just sort of bundled up. It's not... It's not the coldest day ever, but it's definitely not the warmest. So I'm just, you know, trying to make it summertime in my house. Okay. Well, I mean, <laughs> we'll come on to kind of where you've come from to where you are now during the course of this podcast. But for you, we think this is kind of warm weather, but for you, it's like winter. I know. I know. I, I take it with a grain of salt. You know, anytime I see the sun, I, I get happy, but... I also went to university in Philadelphia where the weather is much more harsh. So the weather isn't actually the worst thing in the world for me. If you just describe where you are now physically. So right now I am actually sitting in my kitchen and um, we live in the countryside. We are sort of on the Cheshire Staffs border in England and... um, and I'm wearing a black hoodie. A bit of background for you then in terms of how you got to be where you are at the moment and how you got to be Studio 1208 and how you got to be in the moments that you're in now, whether that be physically or metaphysically, psych- uh, you know, spiritually, whatever you want it to be. Well, I'm originally from L.A. And um, I mean, I guess you have to really know how I met my husband to uh, <laughs> to see how I got here. Um because not only did that make a difference where I live, um, but it also made a difference 
in terms of what I do for a living now. Um, back when I was in LA, before I met my husband, I was working as a fashion photographer, um, shooting lots of editorial and just a lot of fashion work. When I met my husband, I was doing, I was kind of just in the middle of this fashion life. And um, he was a touring rock musician. Um, his band was signed and was over in America to tour um, for four years, basically. And I met him in the beginning of that. And um, so it's like a fashion photographer meets a British rock guy. <laughs> and um, we hit it off right away. And, you know, long story short, we fall in love. And then he... <laughs> He was a musician, so he, he was on a P1 visa, and he could only make money um, by doing things in music. And he was, at that time, kind of mostly being paid in Budweiser, and that wasn't good for me. So <laughs> I was trying to figure out ways that we could get him paid for other things. So one day, I was shooting an editorial, and I said, listen, I would really love to get some behind-the-scenes video. Here's a camera can you shoot some? And I, I handed him a 5D Mark II because that was, it had just come out. Literally, it had just come out. Nobody even knew what was going on with the video with 5D. It was just this sort of new toy. I showed him how to use it. And um, I just said, listen, just shoot short clips um, of what's going on. You have to manually focus. And, you know, this button does this and this button does that. And you can you can see it on the screen so you can see if your exposure is correct or whatever. And he did it. And I really didn't expect much from it. I just I just wanted to see what he would get. And, and I wanted the, the footage. And if it wasn't great, then it wasn't the end of the world. And it was amazing. He killed it. He absolutely killed it. And I was so surprised. And so from that point... I started making him do it more often, and I started writing him into my budgets. So basically what would happen is I would write the behind-the-scenes video stuff into the, my budget. I would get paid for it, and then I would cut him cash, um, getting him some money. So slightly shady, but, you know, we got to do what we got to do. And sometimes I would pay my assistants in cash anyway, so it wasn't really shady, and he was doing the work for it. Um, anyway, so it went from that behind-the-scenes stuff to – starting to shoot for my fashion clients, like, um, doing fashion films and, um, you know, every season he would work for the client and then, then he started getting commissioned for music videos. And so it just started growing. Um, and he said that the camera looked up or like seemed a lot like a synth, which is something that he played. So he, it, he picked it up rather quickly. And then obviously working in pro tools with music, um, the editing side just came really naturally to him. And, and I, I would actually say that his, his edits are where he really shines his storytelling. So it, it was just amazing forward to, we get engaged and then we found out that we were having a baby and um Nick was actually on tour in Europe when I found out I was going to have a baby <laughs> and so I had to Skype him to tell him and um I actually have a screenshot of him his face <laughs> 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 which most people probably don't have so that's cool um and was then it a good face it was it was like this confused excited horrified Scared to death face. Okay, well, we have got a Facebook page, which you know, <laughs> we could take that picture and put it on there. 
<laughs> Screenshots all around. So we had talked loads about wanting to put roots down in the UK when we did finally start a family. And then all of a sudden we were at that crossroad and had to make that decision. Do we, don't we? And we decided we were going to. So we picked up and took off. And uh, I moved to the UK when I was six months pregnant. Had a little bit of a funeral for my fashion career. And... <laughs> And just went and, you know, it was, it was really scary, you know, saying goodbye to that. Well, saying goodbye to clients, really. You know, you have this clientele that you've worked with for such a long time and um, a client base and people you know and, a, you know, a team that you work with and the list goes on and on. And then you come to a new market where you know no one and you have, you know, and not only that, I wasn't moving to London. I was moving to sort of the north of England in the countryside and it's not exactly the fashion capital of anywhere. So I just said, you know what, going on a reinvention tour like Madonna, <laughs> see what happens. And, and we did, and we had the baby and then it wasn't until, um, Jackson, my son was screaming in the middle of the night and I was doing like this, like, you know, 3am feed and I'm half asleep and semi-conscious and 100% out of my mind. And Nick was awake at that time. And we just sort of talked about what the next step was for us. And Nick's, Nick's the one who said we should, we should explore the idea of weddings. And, um, I was like, yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) I don't, think so I will never shoot weddings I say it in that way because it's it sounds really silly in that voice but that's how silly I think it is that I felt that way about the situation um I think I was a little bit stuck up because I came from this fashion world and thought I was so cool um but I also had a really bad sort of stigma in my mind about wedding photography you know every bit of influence or anything that I'd seen wedding photography wise was so lame like so unbelievably lame that I wanted nothing to do with it and every time someone would ask me what I did and I would say I'm a photographer they would automatically go oh what like weddings and I would scoff at them (laughs) and say no I shoot fashion are you serious and you know again in that voice because it's really silly to have that attitude but I just you know back in the day wedding photography was sort of like bottom of the barrel you know it was it was guys who couldn't hack it commercially and they needed the money so they're like what makes money weddings and and they didn't give a shit about it but long gone are those days um we're sort of in the rock star wedding photographer area or era rather and um people really respect their work and they're different and they're making really special pieces of work and heirlooms for people that really matter and they're caring about it and and to me that's really cool anyway we decided we were going to give weddings a go and I am so thankful that I did because my first wedding thankfully came to me from a friend somebody I knew I knew the groom and he was marrying a girl who was a fashion editor at InStyle Magazine. He told me, and I was like, oh God, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. (laughs) I was scared. I was scared also because it's a huge responsibility. Not just scared I wasn't going to like it, but scared I was going to fuck it up, to be honest. You know, scared that I was going to make a mess of somebody's day. And I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to be responsible for that. 
you know, in fashion, you can stop time. In weddings, there's no chance. Like, if it's gone, it's gone. So that was really daunting to me. But he said, listen, she she really doesn't want a, a regular wedding photographer. She wants somebody who works outside of weddings, um, and she wants it shot like an editorial. And that just made all the sense in the world to me. It's like the lights went on all of a sudden, and it didn't seem so lame. And it was like, I can do that. Okay, yes, I can tell a story with pictures. I'm used to this. I can do this. I can make it fashion for it. I can make it cool, and I can put my own stamp on it. It's not this, like, little box that I have to live in. I can go outside of that. And I did it, and I absolutely loved it. It was also Nick's first wedding. It was actually his first wedding ever. I had second shot on a couple of weddings, and but he had never. Um, so I knew how it sort of like went, but he, he didn't. And But he did a great job. He shot by himself on one camera. It was grassroots to the absolute, absolute max. <laughs> and I shot it, and I sort of learned the ropes of, you know, what's needed. And I was working with, like, a high-level coordinator who was so badass and needed all this stuff for me. And I was just sort of learning as I went. And it just threw me into the deep end, hardcore. And I didn't have all the rules that, you know, I should follow. And I didn't have all these stigmas that I, you know, that – everyone tells you you need to be and Pinterest didn't exist. And, you know, I just did it the way I thought it should be done. And holy shit, it got picked up in Brides UK. (laughs) My first wedding I ever shot got published in Brides UK. And that was sort of it. And I've never looked back. Um, It's just been insane since then. Well, that's all we've got time for on this podcast. (laughs) Sorry, longwinded.com. No, that's an amazing story. And um, two things that struck me out of that is life before Pinterest, which seems a long, long time ago. I know, right? And so obviously you weren't coming from a sort of English sort of wedding background. And I know a lot of your work is is overseas as well now, but not coming from that sort of background. How have you then been able to pick up work and market yourselves in the UK? Well, at first, I think it's just kind of like anybody else, you know, at first, you just take anything you can get, you tell everybody what you're doing, and you hope that somebody trusts you enough to take you up on it. And you're, you know, you don't charge that much. And you just want to get the work. It's just about the numbers in the beginning. And then, you know, you start figuring out who you are sort of as an artist. And obviously, because I had shot an American first in a destination, it's, that's what we really wanted. We wanted to be destination specialist if we were going to do it. The, The idea of staying in one place and shooting the same venue over and over sounds like absolute hell to me and to Nick. Some people are totally down with that, and that's awesome. But for me, that that sounds like the equivalent of working in an office and totally boring. And so we we actually, I mean, it's really lucky that the first wedding we did was a destination with a high-end client that had beautiful details and that, you know, somebody wanted to publish. Not only did Brides UK publish it, but Style Me Pretty published it, and then Bridal Musings published it after that. So it's it, it it was like one of those published and republished weddings. Um, so in that respect, that was super lucky. And that blog, magazines to me don't really bring that much in terms of 
people coming to you. It gives you street cred, but it doesn't really bring you lots of clientele, but blogs do. And so people could just find you immediately and send you an email. So that actually started the ball rolling a lot for us. In terms of work in England, it was just sort of word of mouth, this person knows that person, um, you know, give them a try type of thing. Um, Because we had a lot of downtime at that point (laughs) Um, and weren't traveling that much yet. So that's how we really built it and, and making, you know, relationships with bloggers and, and just trying to keep making pictures, I think was, was really the key. Just telling everybody about it, just telling everybody about who we are and getting our name, just saying our name a lot out loud anywhere we were. Studio 1208. Because you hadn't come from that sort of wedding background and I guess a lot of the people that I have spoken to in this podcast haven't come from that I don't know people who do come from a wedding background you don't go to college to train to be a wedding photographer I think people kind of get there through amazing stories like yourself and and lots of the other people that I've spoken to have also been there and and I did it myself um who or what inspires your work now and and is it the same as what inspired you five years ago oh that's a great question. I, you know, I think I hear lots of people going, life inspires me, travel inspires me, all these, you know, and, and you know what, I think everybody is inspired by those things. When I was a student going to art school, um, there was one photographer who first inspired me when I knew really not much about art or not really much about photography. I sort of was a late bloomer in in terms of figuring out what I was going to do with my life. But, um, David LaChapelle was the first sort of name photographer that really captured me and made me feel in awe and sort of like, holy shit. And um, I was, I just remember going in, there's a a chain of bookstores called Barnes and Noble in America. And um, I used to go into Barnes and Noble and I had no money because I was a totally starving student. I would go in and you could just, pick up books off the shelf and sit in there and like read them or look at them for hours and nobody would give you shit and you didn't have to buy anything. (laughs) They're called libraries in England. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think they have this book there, (laughs) but that would be cool if they did. But you know, I'd go and get a Starbucks and I would just sit there and I would get David LaChapelle's books, all of them, like Hotel LaChapelle, I'll never forget. And just open this gigantic book of a color like a sexual color explosion. (laughs) And I would look at it and just, my mind was just blown, you know, of what you could do. And there were no rules and it was so exciting to me. And I thought, right, I'm on the right track here. This is what I'm doing. And I actually thought that I, I wanted to be a celebrity portrait artist. That's where I, that's what I was, was really, really wanting to do when I was in school. Um, it was sort of, I went into fashion, only by happenstance, really. But um, but yeah, celebrity portraiture was where it was at for me. So he kind of started that. And then once I started studying in school and learning the history of photography, I got really inspired by like really old photographers, um, you know, photographers that were long gone. Well, I got really, I don't know why I was always drawn to like sexualized images, but... <laughs> 
that's truth. <laughs> um, like Guy Bourdin and Helmut Newton um, were two of my other favorites. I absolutely loved their work. And even though their work was like highly sexualized, you know, it was still a much earlier time where, you know, it wasn't as insane as David LaChapelle's work and in, in your face. But I also felt like it really empowered women sexually, which was really interesting to me. Um, and cool because it was such a taboo subject and they were so sort of ahead of their time. And then, um, my mom is an art historian and, you know, I was always just really into, into art in general, but I had never sort of opened up to that, the medium of photography until, until David LaChapelle. Well, I mean, I was in art school, but David LaChapelle really sort of like lit my fire there. And then I, I'm still really in huge admiration of his work. I, I actually, after school, or I left school early and I got an internship with David LaChapelle. So I, I actually worked um, with David for uh, about six months and um, I started off as an intern and then I became a production coordinator for his studio. So I, I really got to live a dream there and, and meet him and work alongside him. And, and I'm still, you know, inspired by his creative conceptual brain. And, and I learned a lot of things by doing that. And now I just think, you know, I get really inspired and excited by rad places. And I, I'm into things that probably a lot of people think are weird. Like I see beauty in places that a lot of people don't and get really excited by it. And I, I don't know, I, I'm a mom now and, you know, I, I feel like I look at the world a little bit differently. Um, you know, what? I think, I think I really like people that do their own thing and like really just don't give a fuck. <laughs> Yeah. people that want to like our trailblazers and are a little bit unruly and who kind of just go for it and don't look back and, and are true to themselves. I, I get really excited by that. And I think a lot of our clients are like that. And I think they gravitate towards us because I think we're a lot like that too. Particularly creative people who are truly creative are drawn to those individual people who do their own thing and that's how why they've been successful because they have done their own thing and not copied everyone else i mean i know in the wedding industry in wedding photography there is a lot of sameness it, it you know what i mean i love pinterest for what it is i mean touching on what you kind of mentioned before pinterest is rad the thing about pinterest though is it spawned all of this copycat work and it started making the industry really vanilla just really monotonous and, you know, the top people. And I think, you know, in terms of what I see all the time, it's like people are like, hey, this Jose Villa guy is pretty awesome. Like, I love what he does. He's amazing. I'm going to copy literally everything he does. I'm going to I'm gonna learn every single thing about him and copy every one of his poses. I'm going to emulate my digital to look like his film stock. I'm going to figure out all his lighting scenarios. I'm going to figure out the type of field he likes to go in. And, you know, and now it's like a dime a dozen. And while it's still really beautiful, it is a lot of sameness and, and it's totally boring. And I also think as much as I love wedding blogs and as much as they've done for me, I think that wedding blogs have really caused this as well because you're if they if you don't give them the type of photography they're looking for 
then they don't take you. So yeah. you're like, I have to copy what these people are doing so that you'll like me. Pinterest is a creativity killer in many ways because you don't you you don't rely on yourself anymore. You rely on others to tell you what you need to be doing. And that is totally terrible. Before Pinterest existed, and I mean, I totally got sucked into the Pinterest thing. You know, you, you start doubting yourself and thinking, I'm... What is what are these other people doing? Like, what should I be doing? I'm not doing. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. And then you look to that, and then you think, okay, that's what I need to be doing. Um, and then it it sucked me dry. I was so not. I mean, everything I did, I just couldn't even think of a pose outside of well, what what did I see on Pinterest? What did I see on Pinterest? And that it was horrible. So I literally banned myself from looking, and I don't even go. I mean, I go on Pinterest for certain things that I'm looking for, like, like I said, like a DIY project or hedgehog, you know, cakes. A, a, a hedgehog cakes, a life <laughs> hack, something like that. But I do not go, I, I try not to look at a loads of other work because it clutters my own creativity and, and stifles me in lots of ways. And I wish more people would, would have the confidence in themselves to do that because I think it would take their work to, to the next level. And, but it, it is really scary to do that. Now, a lot of people might think this is a similar question, but I think it's quite different. Who's your biggest influence? And again, has that changed over time? Hmm, my biggest influence. Gosh, the person I always really looked up to growing up, well, the person who sort of like made photography stand out to me, not in terms of a big artist, but my aunt always had a camera. She always took pictures and and she always got them processed um, and printed and gave us each copies of any photos that we were in. And they were always beautiful. She was such a, a good photographer. And I remember being really little and she took me to a photography class at her university. And I was like six or seven years old. And it always left a profound impact on me. And I never realized it until I was 24 and realizing that photography was something that I did every single day without even realizing it, realizing how much I loved it. Um, I just had no training and no skills and I was really poor and, you know, I didn't have any proper camera or anything like that. And I, I would shoot on, you know, disposable cameras. And then I got my first camera phone and I took 5,000 photos on that specific camera phone. It was literally like 0.2 megapixels. It was shit. But I took so many photos and they were interesting. I was studying light without even knowing I was. And, um, and that's what ultimately led me there. So she was really my first influence um, in that. My dad's always been a huge influence to me um, because he has, he's just like my biggest cheerleader in the whole world. And he's always been open to any of my harebrained <laughs> ideas. I mean, you know, I, I was in college or university for, um, seven years and usually those are called doctors, <laughs> Yeah, but, um, it just took me longer to figure out what I ultimately wanted to do. But every road that I traveled, um, sort of ultimately helped me with where I am now. And that's really cool. Um, I still am hugely, hugely inspired by Helmut Newton. Helmut Newton and Guy Bourdin are two of my absolute favorite photographers ever. They are so fantastic and fearless. 
And, and I really love that. Um, the work I do look at is a lot of work outside of my shop. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I still look at loads of fashion work and I'm super inspired by that. Um, you know, I think in my job, it's really important to be connected to pop culture um, and know what's happening in the world on the lighter side of things, as well as obviously political stuff, but on the lighter side of things to know what's happening, it keeps you current in the world. Um, and, and I'm hugely inspired by what's going on. Like this is a super musical house, you know, there's music on all the time. And I just think, I think we're super eclectic and um, we have a lot of tastes and both of us and hopefully we're instilling it in Jackson. We just have like a hunger for experiences and a hunger for knowledge and a hunger for, I mean, like a, a real zest for life and just grabbing it by the balls, basically. My dad always told me to surround myself by people who are better than me. And so I really strive to do that, um, to learn from everybody I know and, and to grow. How is it working um, with Nick? And how much do you influence each other's work? People ask us that all, all the time, obviously, being husband and wife. A lot of people say, you know, I could never work with my husband or I could never work with my wife. But to be honest, we, we, I don't know what the secret is, but we just work. Um, we just work. Um, you know, everybody, when you're running a business, it's really hard. And some days, you know, you're level of frustration gets taken out on the other person or, you know, sometimes the other person is the cause of the frustration. But I think because we do two different things, you know, I really respect what he does and he is way better at that than me. And he really respects what I do and I'm way better at that than him. And I think it's a mutual respect thing where we're not competing for anything. We're literally a yin and yang. You know, my I'm the hothead, he's the cool level-headed guy. Um, I, I'm more of the alpha in terms of like our role. I'm more of like a director and he is more of a like a utility player where he just backs me up and it, you know, it, it's every role that we sort of take isn't very natural and the other person just slides right into the opposite space. So, um, it's been really easy. I, I, I'm so thankful to have him because I can't imagine doing this on my own and it wouldn't be nearly as much fun. 
to be honest. Um, there's no weirdness, you know, when I give him technical advice or, or anything like that. He's just really, he wants to take it all on board because he's just hungry to learn. And, and that's really cool because it's, you know, it's easy to, to be sort of prideful, um, for anybody, you know, getting told by their significant other, like, oh, you should be doing this or, you know, that's, that's too hot or, you know. Like that's not very sharp, or you know whatever, <laughs> and um, but he doesn't. He takes everything on board, and and you know when he gives me criticism, I I slap I him in the face. I slap <laughs> that mofo in the face. No, I'm like I said, I'm more of the hothead, but I do really respect his criticism, and I always try to take it on board. But um, he's definitely better than I am at that. <laughs> He's definitely more laid back. You, we've, we've talked about your inspirations and influence then. What excites you? And it doesn't have to be about work. It can be just what gets your ass out of bed. A friggin' four-year-old. <laughs> 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 um, you know what? I've always been, like, my whole life, I've been an overachiever. Like, as Lady Gaga says, I live for the applause, applause, applause. And it's true. I am totally... By nature, a performer, a center of attention kind of person, um, I am very comfortable in those situa- situations, and I, I enjoy pissing excellence. Not that I always do piss excellence, but I always strive to. And I think I, I get excited by, well, little things excite me, you know, little, little bits, you know, if I get, this is like on such a small scale, but, you know, and this would excite anybody getting an email from somebody, you know, like a mom of, of a bride or even somebody even more remote than that, like an, an, a cousin or an auntie or something who took the time to write an email and said, you know, how great a time they had and we enhanced the experience or whatever. Like that kind of stuff pumps me up beyond belief. And then, you know, to the next extreme is like, the idea that I get to go and explore the world and I get to do it with my husband and lots of times with my child and the idea of me making my life successful is enough. I've always been a self-starter um, and and just tastes of success will keep me going all day long. You know, just one little thing and I'm like, I'm on the right track and, and I will work harder and longer than anybody just to get a little nugget of applause, if that makes sense. Um, so it's pretty narcissistic, but you know what? This is all about truth. <laughs> and that's my truth. I get really excited by being badass, <laughs> by the, the idea of being badass, of you know working hard to achieve what in my mind is badass or what my friends and family, if they you know, they come to me and they are like, your life's badass. And I'm like, fucking is. I love my life. And I work really hard to, to get this life. And, and I mean, it's not without its downfalls, you know, everybody has, you know, everybody's job can suck sometimes, but that keeps me going. I'm living the life that I designed and that I wanted to live and I get to do it exactly the way I want. And that shit makes me so amped. And conversely then, what scares you? The end of the applause? No applause? Yeah, that totally, that of course, of course, you know, being irrelevant. My mentor, my fashion mentor, Russell James, always told me, (laughs) 
that there are five steps to your career. The first phase is, who's Maria? The next phase is, we love Maria, but we want someone with a little bit more experience. The next phase is, we want Maria. The next phase is, we love Maria, but we want someone a little bit more fresh. The last phase is, who's Maria? <laughs> Listen, I'm under no illusion that I have a shelf life. We have a shelf life. You know, I mentioned being knowing what's going on with pop culture. At a certain point, you aren't going to be as down with the kids. The people, the age range of people getting married are not going to be as similar to you. They're not going to be able to bro down with you in the same way. And I feel like, and I hope that I'll always be kind of cool, but you know, no one wants to be the old guy at the party and, um, no one, no one wants to hire that guy. <laughs> and so I think it's really important to make other little oil wells for yourself so that when that one dries up that you're still happy and you're still motivated and obviously you can still survive and make money and but you know just because you're older doesn't mean you're not an artist anymore so you still need to find ways to like make yourself artistically satisfied and fulfilled and it it, it does scare me but it motivates me more than like the fear motivates me to make arrangements and sort of see down the line and and be able to dodge that bullet I think this is a totally irrational fear and like a total irrational personal fear every time I travel somewhere and Jackson's not with me or Nick's not with me I have an irrational fear that it's going to be the last time I see them and um I also have a super irrational it's not a I say it's irrational, but it's not irrational because it's, it really is a fear. I always am scared that when I leave somewhere that <laughs> if I were to die, that my clients who haven't been edited yet <laughs> are not going to be able to get their images. And so I always like tell my mother-in-law, okay, if something happens to me, there's a hard drive and all of my clients are on it and their names are on it. And so if something happens to me, make sure that these people, and, but it is a, it's a real fear, man. And I, I don't think that's irrational because I had that very same fear yesterday. It's funny, but it, it, it is true. That does scare me. But every time I'm not with Nick or Jackson, I, I always have like an irrational fear that I won't see them again. And, and I make, you know, I make extra sure to, to like extra love on them. And I like write, write notes to them and, you know, go sort of a little bit nuts, but it, it's good. I mean, it's not, it's not bad that I do that, but that is, that is definitely a fear. And I also fear a lot of times that people are going to figure out that I suck. <laughs> <laughs> that people are going to be like, she's not that great. And uh, we don't want to bring her anywhere anymore. And that that's a fear, of course. But I think that's, I think that's like the most common artist fear ever. And again, that probably refers back to what you were saying before about that's the sort of fear that drives you on to be better than you were yesterday. Totally. We've already heard quite a lot of them during this interview, but what is your favorite swear word? And I want you to say it to me with meaning. Fuck! <laughs> my favorite swear word has to be fuck I mean it's so 
it's such a good word. It can be used for so many things. It can be used in joy, in fear, in anger, in excitement. I mean, it can express every emotion. And I mean, you can tell somebody, I fucking love you, and you really mean it. And it only emphasizes how much you love them. And it's just, it's just the perfect word, really. Um, it's really hard having a four-year-old and keeping my mouth clean. Um, but, you know, also coming, I think, from a fashion background and being on set with loads of dudes and loads of, like, jaded, angry people, you know, they just swear all the time. And, um, and I think that's why my mouth is so dirty. Uh, and then, obviously, being around musicians and it's just a different kind of world. It's not a nine to five scenario where you have to be buttoned up and quiet. This is literally like the misfits of society. So (laughs) we all just say fuck a lot. Do you like to add it to other swear words or like embellish the word fuck and fuck fuckity fuck, that sort of thing? Um, I, I don't get so fuckity fuck ish, but you know, I do. That's quite English actually that. Yeah, fuckity fuck. I feel like that's really and you know, one one. I will say one English sort of swear combo I love is I love the good fucking hell, <laughs> but it sounds ridiculous when I say it. But I just want to say it. I don't know why. I'll just be like fucking hell or for fuck's sake. Now that is gold. That is. I say that all the time. For fuck's sake. In in my household, my dad used to say, for Pete's sake. <laughs> so, for fuck's sake, seems so much more me. I mean, fucking, like I said, can be used for genuinely anything. I, I mean, I've been known to use it at weddings. At English weddings, I can get away with almost anything. Anything I say is sort of funny to them. Yeah, because you're yeah. the uh, the funny okay. American photographer. Uh-huh. So I can I can just kind of say anything. It's kind of like being an old person. <laughs> yeah. Do you fart when you bend down? Though? Uh, not yet. I mean, I probably I, maybe I could, but you know, the timing's never been right. But um, it's like being an old person where you can just say whatever the hell you want because you've earned it, and no one's going to say shit to you. So. I can say whatever I want because I'm American and people don't know if I'm being inappropriate or not because it might be just an Americanism and it's kind of funny and so they just go with it. We know that you love being a photographer, um, but if you could be anything else for a day and just for one day, what would you be? Well, the other thing I would be, and I know you say just for one day, but I would be it for life if I could because it's so cool I would be a dancer that's like my secret wish in life (laughs) um dance to me is the best thing ever and while I am not in any way a classically trained dancer um I love 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 to dance and when I watch professional dancers I can't even tell you what what it does to me I just am so mesmerized and enthralled by it. it it's there are certain types of dance like contemporary that move me to tears and you know then there's hip hop dance that is so unbelievable and incredible like it just makes me so excited <laughs> um and 
yeah, I would totally be a dancer. Absolutely. Like heartbeat. And if there was something I could just be for one day, (laughs) it would probably be something really naughty. Like, you know, like some kind of a jewel thief or something, like something really exciting, but kind of naughty because I'm, (laughs) I guess I'm shady at heart. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. But dancer for sure. That that's hands down, like no thoughts. That's it. Living or dead. Who would you love to photograph? I've thought about this loads of times, especially because I originally wanted to be a celebrity portrait artist. And I always said, I want to shoot the most influential person in the world, um, which is always ever-changing. But I was like, I want to shoot the most famous person in the world or the most, no, what's the terminology? The most important person in the world. Not fame in terms of pop culture fame, but important to the world. Like a, you know, like a Steve Jobs type of person or something like that. That's what I always used to say. But at this point, I don't know if that's really changed. I think the idea of photographing somebody who's already dead, I try not to think like that. I try to think like, I only want to think about things that I could actually do, you know. So if they're alive, then I feel like, so you're saying there's a chance. That's how I, that's how I roll. So I don't even mess with people who are dead. Like, I mean, Michael Jackson would have been really cool to photograph because I just think it would have been a really interesting presence of a person to be around. But I kind of, it sounds really weird, but I kind of would love to shoot people who have these larger than life personalities to see if I could disarm them. So like a, like a, Kanye West or like a Kim Kardashian, somebody who I could meet who is in so many ways not human and not accessible, like really accessible, probably more Kanye than Kim, but, you know, so untouchable in terms of that, so guarded and so controlled. But I would I would love to shoot somebody like that and have enough time with them to actually disarm them and bring a real person in front of the camera um that would be like the ultimate challenge to me and I think that would be really cool because my I feel like one of my best qualities as a photographer is to make my subjects really comfortable and to bring them out of any sort of uncomfortable shell or just like an you know whatever wall they have up is to just sort of like break that down um and and I would love the opportunity to do that to to this like to like a Kanye West type character um, and and sort of make magic in that way. Obviously, this podcast isn't so much about technicalities of photography and, you know, shutter speeds and apertures and everything. But if you could give one piece of advice to another photographer who's listening to this, and I know there'll be lots of them who who have enjoyed what you've said so far, but if you could give them a direct piece of advice, what would that be? Well, I know exactly what I'm going to (laughs) say. And it's probably because I have had several interns of my own, uh, several students of my own. And um, I have two that are, I always say, one is be undeniably good. You want to make it? Then you better be fucking undeniably good. Point blank, period. There's always someone who's going to work harder than you, someone that is better than you. And if you want to be noticed, like really legit, if you want to be there, then you have to be good at what you do undeniably by anybody who sees you. Um, And that's the secret. Number two 
is I always tell them and they'll always come back to me with the same exact look on, look on their face when I say it is be like water. And they look at me like, what the fuck is she just saying? Like, what is she talking about? Some hippie shit be like water. What is this like Zen warrior princess talking about? And the point that I'm trying to make with water is water is a substance that can get into any space. It can cut through rocks. It can erode earth. It can, it is the most powerful substance on earth, but it's the most forgiving. It can go into any space. It can get anywhere and it can destroy things, but it also gives life and, and makes beautiful things. And that is what you need to be. We're social chameleons in what we do. We have to get along in many situations. We have to troubleshoot everything. We have to be so many things to so many people and to so many different types of people. Being water is being that person, being the person who can fit into any scenario, being the person who can talk to the richest person on earth or the poorest person on earth but they talk exactly the same and they can they can find something interesting to talk about with anybody they can you know they don't stand out in a bad way in a crowd they they can fit in they're hard as nails when they need to be they can take things out when they need to be but they can also really nurture things and help things grow and that is one of the most important things that I could ever tell somebody learn how to become like water be that substance that that is go with the flow and just you know you get pushed over here oh there's a roadblock oh well I'll just move over this way oh I have to now go that way no problem because I can oh I'll just I'll just go right over you I will flood your shit I will I will engulf your entire car doesn't matter doesn't matter because I'm water I do what I want Thank you for that amazing advice. And thank you for those hand movements. I wish people could see the video that I could see doing this right now. Um, maybe we should do this again with video at some point. And, uh, I'm, I'm up for it. I'm and up screen for it. it. Yes, thank you very much for, your, for being so giving and forthcoming with your answers. Just before you go, who else, photographer-wise, should I be speaking to in these podcasts? Well, I'm always a fan of go big or go home. Yeah. I think, you know, you go after the biggest fish. Um, it would be really interesting to go after a David LaChapelle type. Um, I think that would be really cool. I think Merton Marcus would be really interesting. Um, I would love to hear some things they have to say. Russell James would be a really good one. And he um, is my mentor and he is like such a cool guy. In terms of wedding photography world, I think... Um, I think Tyler Branch is a really interesting, great guy who does really great work. Um, Jonas Peterson would be a great person. I really, I feel like me and Jonas Peterson would totally bro down. I think we would be homies. He doesn't know me. <laughs> but if he did, we would be totally friends. I think we have a lot of the same feelings about things and I mean, and that guy has got such a way with words. He's such an incredible writer. I feel like in an interview, he would probably be pretty awesome. And I respect him and his work so much. So I think that would be very cool. And he has, sounds like he has a pretty cool story to tell. Do you know who else I would love if you interviewed? Elizabeth Messina. Oh, Elizabeth Messina is one of the first 
wedding photographers I ever saw that made me feel all the feelings. Um, she is a true artist. Like that woman, I hope I get to meet her one day because she is so in tune with the people she works with. I mean, so in tune and they just eat off her hand. They do. They, if she was like, I need you to throw yourself off a cliff because it's going to be a great picture. I feel like they would. She's just, she's just fantastic. And she just makes beautiful work. And you know what? A lot of people, a lot of work, if you don't know her work, you probably actually do without knowing it because she is somebody who gets quite copied a lot. Um, I think the magic three at this moment are Jonas, Elizabeth, and Jose. Like those, that's the holy trinity. <laughs> um, they are sort of like the bee's knees um, of who's getting copied um, and who everybody wants to be. But she's such, she just seems like such a nice, kind person. And she has this rad blog called Kiss the Groom. And she shoots her children a lot. And just, just so beautiful. Just so beautiful. There's this guy, okay, this kid. He's like 20 years old. He's an art student. And he, I found him because he did these amazing self-portraits of himself in school. They're the most amazing self-portraits I've ever seen. So much so, I mean, he's a, he was a nobody, like, not named photographer. And then somebody took notice of these self-portraits, and it sort of, like, went viral. And that's how I heard of him. And, of course, I can't f think of his name. I had it the second, but I'll message you if I think of it, if I can't pull it up on my phone while I'm talking to you and trying to kill time. They're incredible. So much so that I found this kid's email and emailed him because I wanted to commission him to do a family portrait of us because he is so conceptual and such a genius. Oh God, what's his name? Kyle Thompson. So he has like crippling anxiety, like social anxiety. Um, and this prevented him from like talking to people for his prob his the things he had to do in school. And so he just couldn't deal with the fact that he would have to photograph anybody else. So he opted to just take tons of self-portraits. And let me tell you, they are beyond amazing. This It totally jump-started his career. I don't know if the fact that he has horrible social anxiety has held him back since he's gotten this, you know, fame from that. But if you can nail T Kyle Thompson down, do it. We will try and get hold of all these people. And in the meantime, we'll put some of Kyle's pictures on our Facebook page as well so that people can see what you're talking about and um, oh, see those amazing yes. pictures so that we can share them with everybody. Um, just finally, how do people find out more about you? Um, if people want to know more about my crazy gypsy globetrotting family, um, we are on every bit of social media under Studio 1208. So Instagram is at Studio 1208, Facebook at Studio 1208, everything um, is Studio 1208, makes it very, very simple. Um, and then we, our website, as you mentioned, is Studio1208.com and our blog is marriageisthebomb.com. 
Many, many thanks then to Maria for joining me on Phototypes. To make sure you don't miss any more episodes, remember to subscribe to this podcast and rate and review each episode, please. We really do appreciate it. Have a look at our Facebook page. It's at facebook.com forward slash phototypes podcast to see some examples of Maria's work. And also follow us on Instagram at phototypespod and Twitter also at phototypespod. Next week, I'll be speaking to lifestyle photographer Joanna Brown. Phototypes is produced and presented by me, Matt Bowen. Our music is by Nick Bentley, Soft Piano and Songs for Cash. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.